This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to the Equity Mate Summer Series of 2020, brought to you by Superhero, the newest broker in town offering $5 brokerage and $0 brokerage on all ETFs. Over the next 12 episodes, we're going to be diving into some of Australia's largest and most well-known companies, as selected by you, the Equity Mates community. We'll be unpacking the company, its industry, the outlooks, key financials, and in some instances, we'll also be taking the tough questions straight to the CEO. To do this, as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. Looking forward to this episode. Yeah. This is a company that is close to your heart. I knew you'd say that. <laughs> well, I but mean, it's not. tell me if I'm wrong, but you've been speaking about it a fair bit this year. Every time we got asked, you know, we went on a few YouTube shows and stuff this year and we would get asked, what are some companies that you're looking at at the moment? I feel this company was first on your list. Really? Yeah, you were really excited for the IPO. I don't think so. I can pull up the tape. <laughs> the great thing about Maybe YouTube I was. Is I think I was, it's still there. I think I was perhaps more excited about the response it would get, you know, by the fact that it did IPO. I was interested to see how people would react to it. It's not something that I personally use. But yeah, look, there is a bit of a fanfare around it at the moment. So I guess without further ado, we are talking about Adore Beauty today. ASX code is ABY. So how is this episode going to work? Much the same as all the others. We're going to start with a bit of a summary on the company. We're going to dive into a bit of the context around the industry and competitors, its outlook, financials, and have a crack at the valuation at the end. So should we crack into it? Let's do it. Let's do it. So Adore Beauty is Australia's number one pure play online beauty retailer. Number one in your eyes? Number one in the eyes of their prospectus. (laughs) (laughs) Prospectus, yeah. (laughs) Their aim is to provide a beauty shopping experience that is personalized to their customers' needs, just like many online e-commerce retailers these days. 
not only though do they focus on selling beauty products, but they provide a lot of education around beauty as well as entertainment for their customers. So they hope that their website is a destination not just to buy product, but also to learn more about beauty and how it impacts and how you can do it better yourself. So that's kind of, I think, what we'll dive into a little bit later, how they're planning to sort of differentiate themselves. Yes. Yeah. So a bit of history. And I, I, I quite like this history. For me, a lot of, I guess, online companies, tech companies love to IPO very quickly. Yes. Yeah. You know, Zip was founded in 2013. It IPO'd in 2015. Afterpay was founded in 2014, IPO'd in 2016. Doe? Doe. <laughs> like IPO'd before founding. <laughs> Doe used their IPO as their angel yeah. venture capital round. <laughs> but Adore is bucking that trend. Adore was founded in, depending on what part of Adore's website you go on, either 1999 or 2000. <laughs> so Around the turn Adore, of the se- maybe millennium. Maybe just uh, <laughs> uh, fix that up. But the majority say 2000 by Kate Morris in in her garage in Melbourne. Mm. And and Kate was a 21-year-old uni student at Monash University. And in 2000, e-commerce was, we were obviously living through the the first wave of the sort of tech bubble and, you know, Amazon and stuff had started, but e-commerce was new and it was incredibly novel. And Kate borrowed $12,000 from her boyfriend's parents to, to start an e-commerce retailer. Yeah. I would love to know how that conversation went. And we're actually interviewing Kate and that interview will be in your feed hopefully right now yes. or very soon. Yes. And I'm going to ask Kate that. I'm going to ask her what that conversation was <laughs> like. <laughs> so since then, Ren, they have gone from small to big things, I guess. 2019, they decided to have a website dedicated to their New Zealand customers. And in 2020, they listed on the ASX. So yes, Ren, it's been a long journey, but as you said, something that we like to see in a company, not rushing into it. Now, we will get to the financials later, but I think it's worth giving this context at the top, just in terms of their sales. So Adore was founded in 2000. In 2010, they did $2 million in sales. So it took them 10 years to go from zero to 2 million. And then by 2016, they did 16 million in sales. By 2019, it was 70 million. And then in 2020, the, the financial year just gone, they did 120 million. Mm. So a pretty phenomenal growth curve in the 2010s. Yeah, absolutely. We will dive into that in a little bit. So where do they operate? They've got their main sort of customer base here in Australia. As I said, 2019, they opened up in New Zealand as well. Plans to sort of extend a little bit beyond that. They have 590,000 active customers and they define an active customer as someone who has purchased something over the last 12 months. So pretty large sort of time period, I guess. Their revenue model is, is pretty simple. They sell third-party beauty products meaning that they go out and create partnerships with many of the beauty products, both here in Australia and around the world, and then the middleman marketplace. They have 11,000 products <laughs> <sorry>. available. <laughs> Selling third-party products, <laughs> they are a retailer. <laughs> True. Some are also own brand, right? Well, so yeah, yeah, yeah. These but guys <laughs> haven't done that yet as, it's, it's as a, much. It's a very convoluted way of explaining retail. <laughs> anyway, so they have 230 global brands. In terms of where that sits amongst other retailers here in Australia, they have one of the largest offerings of beauty products, which is one of the reasons they try to differentiate themselves. 
Now, before we get into the industry context, we love talking about investing what you know, invest in your surroundings and, you know, use the people that you know, your friends and your family and your colleagues as a resource. And I think Adore Beauty is a classic example of a company that we can see, feel, touch, understand. And in some ways, the anecdotal evidence you can get from, you know, just people that you know and people who use this service can be a lot better than company presentations and analyst reports and stuff like that. If the business is fulfilling customer wants and needs better than the competitors, that's all you really need to know. And so obviously neither you nor I, well, I won't speak for you. I have never bought anything from a door, but I messaged a few of our friends before this just to get an indication of, have they heard of it? Do they use it? And high level, I think about three quarters of the people that I messaged said they had heard of it. And then it was a pretty even split of the people that have heard of it about whether they use it or not. Key reasons for not using it were mainly around the preference to go in-store. And I think Mecca offers quite a good in-store experience. I remember while I was at Coles, they used to talk about like that experiential retail and like a really good customer service that Mecca offered. And so I think what I sort of was learning from that was that Adore's brand recognition is quite high. Like three quarters of the people I asked know about it, but it feels like there's a customer behavior that they have to overcome, which is that people have a preference for going in store. And it sounds like COVID, a few people said they'd never used a door before COVID, but then they started using it during COVID. So it feels like this is one of those companies that over the long term will benefit from that changing customer behavior around buying stuff online. Yeah, it's interesting because the way that Adore, and I think Adore are obviously acutely aware of this and the way that they're trying to combat it, because a lot of the reasons that people go into store, yes, for the experience, but it's also to talk to the professionals in the store to understand what product is going to work yeah, for their yeah, skin yeah. or what product yeah. is going to be the try best. Try before you buy, all that Exactly. Stuff, yeah. And so the, the two ways that Adore try to overcome this is really through their content marketing approach. They have a thing called Beauty IQ, which is, I guess they call it an expert guide to everything everything beauty and you go onto their website and there's videos with experts and also users who are, you know, I guess reviewing products, telling you how it is going to best suit your skin or whatever sort of you're looking for. And I guess that's a way to try and overcome that experience that you would get in store. They also have a podcast and a bunch of social channels that both attract pretty large audiences. So they're really using the content to, I guess, not only build their customer base, but provide that or try to provide that level of experience that you would otherwise get in store. Kate Morris has also founded another company, Foundation, foundation.com, and it's a crowdsourced database of matching foundation shades. So I guess that's another element of trying to replicate the, not the experience, but I guess the knowledge you get from going in store and mm. you know try, trying stuff on and seeing how it works, mm. um, trying to in some ways replicate that or at least create a proxy for that online. I like what they're trying to do. I think building a community that way and then you can see how people would feel, I guess, much more confident in what they're buying rather than just blindly going at it online and hoping for the best. Mm. 
So in terms of the the industry, Ren, you can break it into two parts. There's the beauty and personal care industry, and then there's the e-commerce industry. So if we start with the beauty and personal care, sales of beauty and personal care products in Australia, both online and in bricks and mortar, reached just shy of 11 billion in 2019, growing at a, an average rate of three and a half percent over the next four years to about 13 billion. So reasonable growth. The big growth though is in the e-commerce industry. Online beauty has seen sales of 797 million in 2019 and penetration of sales online is at about seven and a half percent. However, if you look at that compared to overseas, we're pretty, I guess, underdone. There's there's certainly room to grow with the US at sort of 15% and the UK at 12. Yeah, this is not on the adore point, but on that Australia being behind the eight ball in terms of online penetration, when we watched the Hearts and Minds conference yeah. and fund manager pitched Temple and Webster, which is an online like homewares retailer, yeah. they had exactly the same thing. They had a slide and I think it was like Australia was at about 5% online penetration in that segment and the US and the UK, I think were in the high teens or the 20s. Yeah. That bodes well for pure online retailers in Australia that if they can just get themselves in line with other English-speaking Western developed markets, there's growth opportunities there. So just like we spoke about Booktopia, you know, you're looking at online v offline or bricks and mortar, whilst the offline or the total industry is growing at about three and a half percent over the next four years, the online e-commerce industry is growing at a tick over 25%. So much more considerable growth coming there, which is why Adore are pretty excited about where they're positioning themselves in the market. What is driving this market? Well, it's pretty straightforward. I think, you know, adoption of online, we've seen in COVID, many people turn to online and I guess like the experience more than they perhaps would have if they hadn't tried it before. We're seeing new payment options coming into the market, making it more accessible to pay and buy things online. To your point, Ren, consumer behaviors change. That's also driving the market as well. So pretty good industry to be involved in at the moment. Mm, mm. I mean, this is the sort of rinse and repeat story that we're seeing in every retail segment play out, this cannibalization of bricks and mortar for online. And so I guess then the question becomes, we can see that the industry is moving to more online and online is taking market share. I guess my question for you is who else is trying to win that online market share and what are a door doing that gives them an edge? Well, in terms of competitors, you've got to look at it as an online offline approach. I think they've got major offline department stores who also have an online sort of presence though. Then, you know, you mentioned before Mecca. So those beauty and personal care specialists, I think there's Sephora, Harehouse Warehouse, a bunch of them that sort of specialize in beauty and personal care products. You've got the Woolies and Coles and pharmacies who also sell a range. And then you can't forget the online generalists like Amazon and uh, some online specialists as well recreate yourself or lookfantastic.com, both of which I've never heard of. Mm. So I guess other than Amazon and the online specialists, all the others have bricks and mortar stores. Uh, so that's one area where Adora are looking to differentiate themselves. They don't have to worry about upkeep of all of that sort of physical store space. But their whole pitch is all around 
providing an experience that is AI-driven, classic, and also using their content to build experiences that try to replicate the experience that you get in store. Did a bit of research. They're, That's good. Otherwise, this episode would, wouldn't be great. <laughs> their delivery times are meant to be sort of best in class. And if you go on and have a look at the reviews, the customer service is fantastic. Their range, they offer pretty significant discounts across some major brands that get people in. They give free samples with almost all orders that go out, which is a way to encourage and entice customers to return and buy more product. The way that they've built their website is a very personalized experience. So you're hopefully going to get products put in front of you that are tailored to what you're looking for. So they're really trying to build out that, I guess, tech side of, of the website so that you're getting what you want when you want. And then the customer service and, and the sales side also complement that. So yeah, that's, uh, I guess, where they're sitting at the moment in mm. terms of industry context. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It feels like for a segment like beauty, the specialization that they can offer and, you know, that they can build their whole platform around things like recommendations and samples and all that stuff. It feels like there's an advantage there against Amazon where it's just like you have to know what you're looking for. You search for it and you buy it or you browse. But, you know, browsing through Amazon is a bit of a mess these yeah. days. Yeah. It feels like this is a segment where price is less important and some of those other things around getting the right product is more important. And I think that's why they focus so strongly on this content side and they make a big deal of the mm. fact that they've got the beauty IQ, they've got the podcast, they've got their socials, they've got all these experts in the community. And I, I guess it's creating that sense of community and also sense and confidence that what you're buying is right for you yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. That's going to keep people coming back. Equity mates, we've covered off the company and the industry. Before we get into Adore's future plans and some of its numbers, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Okay, so let's get into Adore's outlook and future plans. Obviously, we've talked about how they're in a growing segment of the beauty market in that online space. They've just IPO'd. I think they raised, what, $200 million? Thereabouts, yeah. So what are they going to do with all that cash? Party like it's, what is it, 1982 or something? <laughs> Geez, I'm a cheap laugh, but even I didn't laugh at that one. <laughs> Look, um, for them, and this is interesting, I had never heard of Adore Beauty before the IPO. Mm. You know, I'd heard of Mecca and a lot of the other brands that are mentioned in their competitive landscape. One of the things that they really want to do is build brand awareness and yeah. I think just get in front of more people. It's obvious that once I think customers get in their sphere and universe, you know, they're generally sticking around for a bit. But I think they just want to get in front of more people. So that's one thing they're going to be doing. They're going to be launching a mobile platform later this year, maybe early next year. And again, that's just going to be a content first focus to provide, I guess, a seamless transition to purchase. That's their big thing. How can we get customers to, to buy as seamlessly as possible without it feeling like a bit of a sales pitch, I guess. They do have a loyalty and rewards program, which from a bit of research and chatting to mates, I think is a, a good draw card for them. And it sounds like they're going to be enhancing that functionality. And Ren, to your point before, they are a third-party retailer, but they're going to be looking, <laughs> they're going to be looking to move into the private label space and uh, start, I guess, manufacturing their own branded products and increasing their range, which is only a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's because we've both worked in retail, or maybe it's because we've seen enough of these retail businesses over the last four years. But there's nothing really new about this strategy. 
but the strategy works. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many companies that we've seen that have really focused on, you know, one, building awareness, changing customer behavior, two, leveraging the data that they're gathering, being an online player to, you know, offer better customization and recommendations, three, moving to mobile, four, having a strong loyalty program, and then five, making the shift from third-party sellers to private labels. It's like, the blueprint it, for it online is, e-commerce. It is the blueprint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what happens, ironically enough, is when they get massive, like Amazon-level massive, the sixth pillar is let's go get some bricks and bricks mortar. Bricks and mortar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It works, and I think it's... You know, it doesn't work for everyone. These guys seem to be, I guess, first in the space in that pure online space. So I think they're trying to just really knuckle down and, and own that. You're right. It's not majorly groundbreaking or, or innovative. Yeah, but I mean, that, that, isn't, that isn't to cast dispersion on yeah. it. Like it, yeah. it works. And, you know, it's a playbook that has worked overseas. It's a playbook that's worked in Australia. And it makes sense because it's leveraging what the technology allows you to do. Collect data lower your costs, you get more personal. Yeah. So it's an interesting one. It's not a company that I would really have thought to invest in before we looked at this, but it does interest me now. I don't own it, but it it is interesting. Mm. So we can just quickly talk about some of the risks that they'll be facing before jumping into the financials. And this is probably worth thinking about with all these sort of online companies as well. But obviously in an industry where some of this would be discretionary spend, General economic conditions is something to think about, you know, given what Australia and the world is facing, how likely are people going to continue spending the way that they have been in this space? Obviously, website risk and security, new competition to the market. I think it's a generally low barrier to entry market or their bricks and mortar retailers could transition faster onto online. Yeah, yeah. I imagine that's the case. I would wonder how easy it would be to stock some of these beauty brands. I imagine there's a fair bit of brand protection that they would want to do. So it's not like you and I could throw up an e-commerce website and start selling Estee Lauder or like some of the more upmarket brands. So yeah, you're right. The new entrance would be more existing retailers moving online rather than Bryce and Alex (laughs) make up (laughs) euphorium.com. Yeah. And to that point, the reliance on third party, and I I guess this is why they might be going to more private label as well, also given the margins, but you are relying on third party suppliers to keep the business going and your range at the heights that it is, I guess. And I guess the growth rates that they're experiencing at the moment you need to think about how likely is that to continue over the longer term when you're thinking about valuations and that sort of stuff. Pretty mm. he- pretty hefty growth rates right now. Yeah. I mean, Adore would just be hoping and praying that Maya continues falling and goes bankrupt. Yes. <laughs> that would, that yes. would free up a fair bit of the market. <laughs> so, Ren, we'll turn to financials now. As you said at the start of the show, some pretty phenomenal top-line revenue growth. FY20, they're looking at $120-odd million in revenue. They are profitable. They have been over the last few years. They note in their prospectus that there is a large one-off tax cost that uh, actually did lead to a, a bit of a loss, $1.2 million loss for FY20. But if you exclude that, then I guess general operations, they they have been profitable. Mm-hmm. So that's good news. We do have a profitable company in our summer series. <laughs> we do. We do. Yes. I guess what does it mean from a valuation standpoint? So did a bit of a discounted cash flow earnings per share at, at about two and a half cents. If you plug in five-year growth rate at the online growth for industry, which was 26%, and then a 10% growth rate for the 10 years after. You're looking at a share price of $6.44. 
And at the time of recording this, it was $6.50. So pretty in line with current price. With all things discounted cash flow, you can obviously adjust your, your growth rates and get some pretty different returns. The most bullish case is if you assume a 50% growth rate over the next five years, then, you, then you're looking at a current valuation of about $15. Yeah. And if you assume a thousand percent growth rate over yeah. the next hundred years. So it's all a bit, um, it's all a bit. Uh, iffy in terms of what you put in. But I think if you assume that industry growth rate of 26% seems pretty fair value at the moment. I want to take a step back on the financials. Given you're the retail whisperer and you can answer any retail question. <laughs> Not <laughs> no, true. I, I just, a key thing that you look at in retailers is gross and net margin. So retail is notoriously a difficult business. There are very razor thin margins. And you know, Coles and Woolies bring in tens of billions of dollars a year. I think Coles did mid $30 billion last year, but they make, in terms of profit margins, they make 3% on that. And I think Woolies would be around that 3% mark as well. I've just had a look at Adore's gross and net margins. So their gross margins are around 30%, which yeah. is pretty normal for a retailer. Their net margin is small though. Their net margin was between half a percent and 2% over the last three years. So that feels below the industry average and below an online retailer average. So for me, that's one thing to keep in mind. I'm not 100% sure of the dynamics of the beauty industry and is there like some serious discounters that are squeezing margins in the industry, but you could see one opportunity for a door and potentially why they want to push into private label is that margin feels quite low and you'd probably want to see that expand a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I would imagine a lot of that is driven by the significant discounting that they're doing on a lot of their products as well, just to get customers in. But how sustainable is that unknown? Well, are they the cheapest in market? For all their products? Well, just, yeah, in general, like for a basket of products. Couldn't tell you. Okay, because a lot of the larger retailers will measure themselves on a basket of staples and see how they compare to their competitors. If Door is the cheapest and they're willing to wear these low margins as a customer acquisition play, that makes sense and that is a good strategy. But if they're that cheap, and there are others that are cheaper and they have to be that cheap because the industry dynamics are, you know, Maya just wants sales and they're discounting to get people in the door so that they can sell them shirts and shoes as well as makeup. And, you know, it's like a traffic play for Maya or, you know, Mecca or Sephora have some way that they can be cheaper than a door, then that would be something I'd be mindful of because there's not a lot of room in those margins. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I guess that brings us to the end of a door. If you want to have a listen to our conversation with the founder, Kate Morris, that should be available in your feed now. So head over and have a listen to that and we'll be digging a little bit deeper into some of the conversations that we have just had. Otherwise, a massive thank you to our sponsor for the summer series of 2020 Superhero. They're providing the cheapest brokerage in town, $5 for a, a flat fee brokerage. And if you're into buying ETFs, they are offering $0 brokerage on all ETF purchases and sales. So head over to superhero.com.au to sign up for more and for more information. It's a pretty phenomenal platform. The tech is, uh, is amazing and uh, it sounds like there's some big things to come from them. So thank you to them and Ren, we'll chat next week. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. 
The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.